Hello, I'm Curtis Bowers, and this is Agenda Weekly. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I really appreciate it. Uh, those watching on Rumble, please like and follow. That's a great blessing to us. Those listening on the podcast, our Rumble page is Curtis Bowers Agenda. Curtis Bowers Agenda. You can type that in and find our page there if you'd ever like to watch the video because a lot of times I show clips and things that are nice to see and not just hear. I'd also like to thank those who are subscribers to Agenda Weekly. Thank you so much for doing that. Your $5 a month is such a blessing to us and it allows us to do this each week and also travel around and try to reach as many people as possible. Those of you that are not subscribers but appreciate what we do, I would appreciate if you considered going to agendaweekly.com and subscribe there. It's $5 a month, or you can do more than that if you'd like. But it just, again, helps us be able to speak the truth and stand up for what is right, and we appreciate that. There's so many serious things to cover this week, and I've got lots of different nuggets on different topics because it's just kind of overwhelming the amount of news that's coming at us. But one of the questions I'm going to try to answer is this, is the new world order finished? I've just heard a lot of people on our side talking as if we're on the verge of victory. The other side, the globalists and the bankers have decided now their quest for a new world order is not going to happen and they have failed and we have won and and so it's time to celebrate and I, I don't agree with that but we'll talk about that some. And also toward the end, I'm going to talk about how will we know when we are winning? What are some signs you'll clearly see where you'll go, oh, I think we might be winning now. There's, there's many indicators. I'll give you a few of them. And the ones I'll talk about, if those are not happening, we're not winning. And we will not be winning in the future. And we'll talk about that at the end. But thank you so much for joining me again this week. I really appreciate it. One of the great victories we have had over the last four years and I think a lot of people are thinking that is by itself going to change the momentum of a hundred year agenda to implement a world government and, and all of those things that are going on is millions, probably tens of millions of people in America and throughout the world have awakened to see the way things really are. And that is a tremendous blessing. And I agree that has been a great victory. I think one of the key things that happened that caused millions to awaken is that over the last 50, 60 years, the term conspiracy theory has been used. The CIA kind of got it going, and then others have used it since then to really stop either side from looking into something that the deep state didn't want you to look into. And it was very effective for decades where people would say, you know, that's a conspiracy theory, and all of us would go, oh, okay, yeah, 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 I, I, that's stupid. I'm not even going to look into it. So it stopped us from even looking into it. I remember when September 11th happened, and some people on our side were saying, oh, that was an inside job. And I'd been so brainwashed that when people said that, I thought, oh, brother, we have such idiots on our side. And I wasn't willing to look at it for a couple years 
until some people kept asking me, what do you think about that? And I realized, okay, I need to dig in and study it. So I don't just say, well, that's just dumb. I'll have an answer for them. And as I dug in and studied it, I saw very clearly, oh my goodness, it was an inside job. And so, but, but the conspiracy theory term worked so successfully for so long, they underestimated the alternative media that started springing up with the internet and everything. And over the last 20 years, more and more people woke up. But I think the key element that changed everything is the COVID lockdowns. I think when people finally, that are normally way too busy uh, to ever dig into anything, ever study anything, their lives are spinning out of control, they're late for five appointments, they're overbooked, they're underpaid, they're exhausted. But all of a sudden with the COVID lockdowns, everyone had weeks and most had even months to sit in their home with nothing to do. There's no doctor's appointments, no dentist appointments, no taking the children to school, nothing. Everyone was just sitting there. And so because they had all this extra time and their hyperactive life had been just ground to a halt, they started watching YouTube videos and Rumble videos and they started looking into things. And I think what happened all of a sudden as they had time to watch some of the films that talk about conspiracy theories and things, they started to realize, wait a minute, those make a lot more sense than I thought. And, and they have a lot more facts backing up their little theory than I thought. And I mean, just one example was Plandemic. Plandemic, the, the documentary exposing the pandemic, had over one billion views. One billion people took the time to watch that. And so their eyes were open. Oh, my goodness. This whole thing's a scam. This whole thing's a lie. But I don't think it was just pandemic. I think it was the JFK assassination videos. It was the September 11th videos. It was so many different things because they had months of just sitting there looking at the screen. And once you watch one of those conspiracy theory films, other ones pop up for you. And you start getting an education and you realize, a lot of those films have a lot of facts to back up their theories, and they have a lot of facts that prove the storyline is wrong. What we were told is wrong. And so as they watched those videos and were educated, and then they were warned about so many things like the, the shot coming up, don't take that. It's experimental. It's using new technology no one's ever used before. Be careful. A lot of people, over 30% of Americans, realize, oh my goodness, this whole thing is smoke and mirrors. Everything I've been taught in my entire life is wrong. It's been tainted, twisted. It's a half-truth. And so that is all wonderful news. Because once you kind of see the sun in the sky, even on a cloudy day when people tell you it's not there, you know, oh, yes, it is. I've seen it. And so that's the beauty of that. And that is good news. And I'm thankful for that. But that by itself does not neutralize the other side. And they will never give up. Just know Satan and the communist will never give up on their quest for world totalitarian government. So don't think, oh, you'll ever have a victory that's lasting You'll always have to fight and defend and stand up for the truth and the principles our country was founded upon, or they will be gone very quickly. 
a hundred years ago, and I brought this up in one of the episodes before, that Walter Lippmann, who was a great propagandist, he said, you must censor the truth if you want your propaganda to be successful. And so that's what they had done for so many decades. They'd censored the truth, told you the party line, and almost everyone believed it because there was no alternative. And so they were able to just keep marching forward, whether a Republican was in there, whether a Democrat was in there, just keep marching forward toward their new world order. And then the internet popped up. And then, like I said, the COVID situation where everyone had this time to start seeing, oh my goodness, I didn't realize. And so things started to change. Well, I'd already written all this out to talk about this week. And then something happened this week where the Biden administration is now going for the jugular on free speech, where they want to totally control the internet completely. Here's a little clip from Glenn Beck talking about it this week. But I saw this clip when I'd already written down a lot of this stuff and go, oh my goodness, yes, they they realize what I just said is true. We have to silence alternative media or we'll never be able to have total victory because people now are awake to us. That's why no one watches CNN. No one watches MSNBC. They don't watch it because it's just nonsense. So you have a little radical elite, mainly dumbed down, useful idiots that don't know anything about anything. And then many people on our side that are now awake, but we're not in the positions of power. The little elite the radicals, they're in control of almost everything in our country. But but listen to this, what they're going for right now, because they know it's vital to turn off Agenda Weekly, to turn off the Glenn Becks, to turn off anyone that's speaking the truth because they cannot be successful in pushing their propaganda as long as that is the case. There is some really disturbing news from Commissioner Brendan Carr today. He is from the FCC. The Biden administration uh, has just put forward a plan for digital equity. And it is a plan for all Internet services and all infrastructure. According to uh, FCC Commissioner Carr, President Biden's plan hands the administrative state effective control of all Internet services and infrastructure in the country. Never before in the roughly 40-year history of the public Internet has the FCC or any federal agency, for that matter, claimed this degree of control over it. The plan calls for the FCC to apply a far-reaching set of government controls that the agency has not applied to any technology in the modern era. This is breathtaking control of all information. The rules, the... The rules that are suggested and are going to be voted on quick hurry next week. If passed, the FCC will be empowered for the first time to regulate every ISP's service termination terms, use of customer credit, account history, credit checks, account termination, among other items. It includes plans 
to empower the FCC to regulate every single aspects, uh, aspect of the Internet for the first time ever. This is so far-reaching that it will mean even the blaze, because we are on the backbone of the Internet, we will now have to comply by government FCC regulations. I also started before Reagan, I think it was before Reagan, uh, deregulated the uh, radio waves and television waves. I will tell you that um, those regulations today would put this show out of business. I could not do what I do today if they just went back to the regulations that were in the FCC back in the 80s. So it makes total sense that they need to do this because if they can control all media and anything that's misinformation or disinformation from their point of view can be silenced, then it is really hard for resistance to build up because there's no way to get information to each other and everything. So they're going to take this in earnest. On one hand, them doing this shows they realize now we are awakening. And that's good. I'm, I'm glad that we are, like I said, but that doesn't stop these plans. I believe the opposite is true. Instead of us having total victory in the next 12 months, I don't see that happening. I think it's going to be war. I think it's going to possibly civil war. It's going to be possibly world war, famines. It's going to be whatever because they see what's happening. They're going to start trying to censor. If that doesn't work, they'll just escalate a world war. They'll strike America and act like, oh, it was North Korea or whatever. They'll do whatever. That, that's the one thing I do know. I know how satanic these people are and how evil they are. And there's nothing they will not do of letting a bioweapon go that kills 90% of America's population. Yes, they would do that. You know, giving vaccinations to children to kill them and to sterilize them. Yes, they've already done all these things. So I just don't want you to be disillusioned by all the positive, optimistic talk to not be acting, to not be doing, to not be sober-minded in everything that you do because I think it's the most sober period we're entering right now because they're desperate and there's 12 months to go till the next election and they cannot lose power now. They will not lose power now, if at all possible. God can foil their plans, but we can't. And so we need to get really serious about this. Now on a separate note that sounds totally different, but it's not, it fits into this same plan. This week, Gates announced that he's gonna vaccinate 86 million girls in the low and middle income countries of the world by 2025. And so when you know, he says, oh, it's to help them live a longer, healthier life, when he's already stated in videos, our number one goal is we gotta cut human population, you know, that's all a lie. So, but the Gates Foundation, Gavi, UNICEF, the World Bank, the World Health Organization, and the Clinton Health Initiative are the ones pushing this. It's just, it's so evil. God designed our immune systems to work wonderfully. 
and to get stronger as we take care of ourselves and to be able to battle the things coming. And every time they inject toxins into our system, it weakens that immune system, which causes more death, more disease. But that's what they make money on. The pharmaceutical industry, big pharma, is, is what is there to poison the world for control, but also for the elimination of most of the population for so many different things. And what's amazing to me, this sounds totally different, but I was listening to a sermon this week by a pastor, and he was talking about pharmakia, the word, which is the root of pharmaceutical. And that's the word that means the use of drugs, potions, spells, and or poisoning and witchcraft. And, and that word translated in the Bible, pharmakia, is sorcery. And big pharma is sorcery. And it says in the Bible in Revelation 18 that all the nations were deceived by the sorcery, by the pharmakia, or the pharmaceutical, which is so interesting. What's just happened? What have we just lived through? The whole world was deceived into trusting big pharma that when they had a shot that was supposed to protect you and supposed to be safe and effective, it wasn't. And the death rates continue to climb. And as I was reading this in Revelation 18, and the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, Rockefellers, <laughs> for by thy sorceries were all the nations deceived. By thy pharmaceuticals were all the nations deceived, is what the word is there. I don't know, it's, it's sobering to me as I see that because I look and I go, Satan has always been about death. He's always been about destroying the seed of the woman. Because back in Genesis 3.15, Satan was told very clearly, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And so he's been against mankind. And as I thought through that, and I was listening to that pastor talk about all the ways Satan has brought death. He's a counterfeit and he's trying to always do what God said he's going to do, but he does it in a counterfeit way, in a deceitful way. He knows that everyone is supposed to be worshiping God, so Satan wants us to worship him. He knows that Jesus Christ offers eternal life, so he wants to do that. What did he tell Eve in the garden? You know, you shall not surely die, and the day thou eatest of it, thou shalt be as God. And so you're going to be like gods if you eat of this fruit. So he was trying to sell her a counterfeit eternal life. And what's going on today with the transhumanist movement? Yuval Harari, you shall be as gods. When Ray Kurzweil was asked, do you believe God exists? He said, not yet. <laughs> we're creating God and we're going to be God. But the transhumanist movement is saying, ye shall be as gods. You're going to have eternal life on this earth. So it's just another counterfeit of Satan revised from the garden. Back then, you eat of the fruit. Now, if you put the implant in your brain, you'll be as gods. Satan knows the Bible and has tried to thwart God's plans from the very beginning.
the entire environmental movement is simply a war against mankind to eliminate every human possible from off the earth. That's why they pick CO2, which is plant food, and, and they redefined it as a toxin because they knew human beings breathe out CO2 and everything we do that is productive produces CO2 and we don't want man to be productive because when he's productive, he can provide for himself. And when he can provide for himself, we cannot enslave him in our entitlements. So that's all this is all about is a scheme by the devil and he's brainwashed the elites of the world that have given their soul to him for fame and fortune to go along with this and to, and to go, yes, I, I want fame and fortune. And, and they've believed the lie. Mankind is the enemy of the earth and I must eliminate them to succeed in my quest for world government. But listen to this. We've done some deep dive reports on what we're being told is this current climate crisis, tracking it back to the Club of Rome and how they decided that they would choose uh, human beings as as kind of the cause of the climate crisis. They decide that was right. decided upon. It was written about in a book. Well, when we see headlines like this in Bloomberg, I think it's time for us to go a little deeper into this conversation. Earth needs fewer people to beat the climate crisis, scientists say. Now, most people seeing that, it, it probably sparks a lot of questions or maybe some shock. Where is this coming from? How do we still have these headlines going on? And really, where did this start? So one of the one of the people you can really point to is a person named Thomas Malthus. He was an English economist, and he's probably best known for his book. He wrote an essay on the principle of population that was in 1789. So let's just take a little bit of an excerpt from here, and then we can talk about it. So he writes, the power of population is so superior to the power in the earth to produce subsidence for man that premature death must in some shape or other visit the human race. The vices of mankind are active and able ministers of depopulation. They are the precursors in the great army of destruction and often finish the dreadful work themselves. But should they fail in this war of extermination, sickly seasons, epidemics, pestilence, and plague advance in terrific array and sweep off their thousands and tens of thousands, should success be still incomplete, gigantic inevitable famine stalks in the rear and with one mighty blow levels the population with the food of the world. Well, it was so popular that um, a group of people started the Malthusian League in seven, 1877. And it said this about that, the Malthusian League advocated for limiting family size voluntarily through contraception to avoid the overpopulation and poverty cautioned in Malthus's work. The Malthusian League's activism during the late 19th and early 20th centuries led to more tolerant views of contraception and family planning in Great Britain in the 20th century. So Malthus was kind of the, the, the first mover in this space. And he, he influences Charles Darwin, Charles Darwin is kind of like the competition between species, evolutionary biology, survival of the fittest. Darwin's cousin is Francis Galton. This is where we pick up one of our deeper dyes. Francis Galton is the father of eugenics. That movement took off in America and in England in the, in the early 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s. And that really didn't talk about the planet too much. Malthus is where the planet came in. We're talking about the planet in relation to population. So that brings the Club of Rome. This organization started in the late 1960s. They fund MIT shortly after that to do a computer simulation about the carrying capacity of the planet. And this was when the book Limits to Growth comes out. Limits to Growth is, is kind of a compilation of this doomsday computer scenario that they did. 
to talk about all the possible ways this could turn out. That was in 1972. And if you can see on this book, it says a report from the Club of Rome's project on the predicament of mankind. So now we're getting somewhere talking about a predicament of mankind. Well, one of the co-authors was Dennis Meadows. And you would think, you know, obviously these, these thoughts are kind of foregone conclusions. They're not really popular, and especially in eugenics. It's really a disgusting, dark time in our past. But in 2017, the co-author Dennis Meadows did an interview. Listen to what he had to say. It's politically inconvenient. Politicians wouldn't want to tell you that if you to deal with climate change, you have to lower your standard of living. So we still have this fantasy, collective fantasy, that we will somehow solve climate change, but without giving up our material standard of living, and for sure not doing that politically incorrect uh, thing to try to talk about birth rates. The planet can support something like a billion people, maybe two billion, depending on how much liberty and how much material consumption you want to have. If you want more liberty and more consumption, you have to have fewer people. And conversely, you can have more people. I mean, we could even have eight or nine billion, probably, if we have a very strong dictatorship, which is smart. It's, unfortunately, you never have smart dictatorships. They're always stupid. So, but if you had a smart dictatorship and a low standard of living, you can have it. But, but we want to have freedom and we want to have a high sentence. So we're going to have a billion people. And we're now at seven, so we have to get back down. I hope that this can be slow, relatively slow, and that it can be done in a way which is relatively equal, uh, you know, so that people share uh, the experience and you don't have a few rich, you know, trying to force everybody else to, to deal with it. So those are my hopes. I mean, these are pretty pessimistic hopes, you know, but I mean, that's, that's what lies ahead. But I see coming, unless God has mercy on us, financial collapse, famine, world war, martial law, and all of that could be in the next 12 months. I'm not saying that it will be, and I hope it's not. I hope their plans are thwarted and exposed, and, and people do wake up and we're able to defeat these evil plans. But they're never defeated permanently. There's never like total victory because the other side's not going away because Satan is not going away. He knows his time is limited and he's on a mission to destroy. And so I wanted to tell you that they're coming for patriots. They're coming for the Christians. They're coming for the climate deniers. And so now more than ever, it's important that we stand for the truth. Optimism isn't the answer. It's action. And, and when people aren't ready to act in a sacrificial manner, then you know there's no chance of God stepping in to show his mercy. He expects us to be obedient. He expects us to be sacrificial in the way we live our lives for our children and our grandchildren and our neighbor. He expects that. So here's some things. If you notice these things happening, I would say, oh, maybe he's allowing us to turn things around. If you don't see these things happening, we're heading into really a rough time, probably the roughest in all world history because of the technology that they have to come against us. Number one, I think I barely mentioned this at the beginning, but if parents are not pulling their kids out of the government schools and starting to be the parents 
which means you're the teacher, you're the trainer, you're the mentor, you're the discipler. If that is not happening in a a huge scale, then no, we're, we're not having victory over anything. Because when we have shirked our responsibility that God has given us to raise the next generation to love and fear him, don't think he's going to bless our efforts to stand against this evil. He's not. And so, but if you see that, that's a wonderful sign. If that starts multiplying out where parents realize all of a sudden, oh my goodness, especially Christian parents, what have I done? I gave my children over to the world to be raised and to be brought up and so that they would grow up to hate God and hate everything the Bible says is true. Number two, people start sacrificially defunding the enemy and funding the warriors of truth. So if you don't see people actively stopping using the big banks, stopping going to the big stores, even though they're convenient, because uh, they realize, no, no, when I bank at Wells Fargo, I'm funding the enemy, or U.S. Bank, or any of the big ones, I'm funding the enemy. When I shop at Costco, I'm funding the enemy. When I shop at Starbucks, I'm funding the enemy. And they're not willing to willfully go, yuck, I'll never drink coffee again if I have to, to stand up for what is right. If we don't see that, and then not only defunding the enemy, but willing to sacrificially fund people that are standing for the truth and good candidates and good causes and missionaries and things, if that's not happening, then you realize, no, that's, you know, (laughs) they're not serious about this. And God never blesses those that are lukewarm. Because he said, no, I'm going to spew them out of my mouth because I hate people that are lukewarm. And that's what we've been for 60, 70 years. Again, I hope that changes. And it might be starting to change, but it needs to. We need to be praying for these things. And we need to be praying that God would give us the courage to do these things faithfully and consistently. Number three, if people start leaving the pathetic anti-biblical churches that are the majority of churches today. If they start leaving in droves and you start to see those contemporary big mega churches crumbling, then you go, oh, something's happening. God's doing something here. If, if a church is not preaching Genesis to Revelations, all of it, and not holding back on any of the passes on divorce or on a marriage or the f- blessing of children or on salvation and hell and consequences and sin and everything else. If that's not happening, then d- don't kid yourself. If the true gospel that when you are born again, you become a new creation and all things pass away, behold, all things become new which means you start on this course and this path of being holy and wanting to be like God and being just disgusted with evil, disgusted with compromise. If that's not happening, you haven't been born again. And so it's a lie when they told you, say this prayer and you're going to heaven. It's like, no, no, no. Saying a prayer does not get you to go to heaven. It's putting your faith in God and repenting of your sin and believing he died for you because you were so evil and vile. That was your only hope of ever being set free from your sins. And when that happens, he starts working in your life if it's really happened. And you look back five years and go, I'm a completely different person. And you look back 10 years, I'm a completely different person. If that's not happening, then you haven't been born again. If the church doesn't start showing discipline, they're supposed to discipline those who are sinning. That's 
not happening hardly anywhere. If someone in the church is sinning, they're brought before the church and they're confronted with that. And if they will not repent of that, you're not to even talk to them. You're not to even associate with them in any way. Well, the, the pastors don't want to do that because we might lose some people here. So again, until the pastors start preaching to please God instead of man, there's no hope for America. You have to have a healthy church to have healthy families, and you have to have healthy families to have a healthy civilization and country. If we don't see the father's hearts turning toward their families, it's not going to happen. You have to get the father to get the whole family. If pastors aren't preaching to those fathers to lead their sheep, it's not going to happen. If you just have a bunch of programs where everybody's being entertained to death, it doesn't work. So all of that was number three on the church. And if that doesn't start changing. And lastly, number four, if people start taking seriously the need to build small local communities of like-minded people that are doing things God's way. If that doesn't start happening, or people aren't gathering around like-minded and building community and building accountability and, and building a, a clean, moral society for the children to be raised in, to grow up to love and fear God, then, then it's not happening. These things are not going to happen. But if you see those four things happening, then there's great hope that God is being merciful once again to turn us back to him. And all of it is just Christians being different. Christians living like Christians are supposed to live. One of the videos we have below this week is the Benham brothers, and they're friends of mine. It's a powerful video of them talking about Christians should be blowing away people's expectations in everything that they do. But why? Because it makes Jesus look good. If you're a Christian and you let people know you're a Christian, you need to be different. And then they went into a very interesting concept I think is so important for us to understand. In the Bible, the word work, worship, and service are all the same word. Isn't that amazing? Work is worship. Everything is to be done as unto the Lord. That's so powerful. If we got that and live that, I think God would bless the fruit of those actions to take back America. In America, everything has been separated out. Work is nine to five, Monday through Friday. Worship is one hour on Sunday. Service is the do-gooder stuff you do a couple hours a year and you feel good about yourself. And God says, no, no, it's all the same thing. Whether you're working or serving others or worshiping me, it's all worshiping me because I'm supposed to be the Lord of everything. In the Bible, in the New Testament, it talks about when women were serving people, it says they ministered unto them. It meant they served them food. And the Bible used the word, no, no, they ministered unto them. Everything is this. It's so important. There's no separation between the secular and the sacred. It's very convenient if you want to live in the flesh to kind of separate things out. Oh, on Sunday I go to church and I'm different, but the rest of the week I can do whatever I want. And God says that's an abomination. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all as unto me. There's no separation. There's no such thing as the separation between religion and politics. It's all religious. Um, the culture 
education, economy, politics, laws, taxes, regulations. It's all religious because God is the Lord of everything. And the church and the pastors have brainwashed people into believing there's a separation. Yeah, you can watch that movie during the week because we wouldn't watch it in church because of all the foul language and they're blaspheming God and all the nudity and stuff. But, but in your private life, that's okay. God wants it all. And when he gets it all, he does amazing things with our little nothing of our loaves and fishes. Once you get down that the reality that everything you do is worship to God, you will do everything with excellence to glorify him. And I think that's so vital. And our verse for this week fits exactly into that. But watch that video below and be encouraged and inspired to really set a new course. If you're not doing life like that, we all need to. Where everything that we do, it's as if Jesus Christ was right there and said, I want you to do this. Wash the dishes or take out the trash or go talk to your neighbor. Or when you go to work today, you work like I'm the boss at that company. And if we did that, our light would shine so bright and he would look so good to this lost world. I know he would use that to draw people unto himself. My favorite verse in the Bible is Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. It's two verses, so it'll be our verse for this week and next week. But listen carefully. I love this because it sums everything up for us. Whether the new world order is rising or falling or whatever's going on, the, the wisest man that ever lived, because he had wisdom from God as a gift, was King Solomon. And after he lived his whole life doing everything he wanted to do, he did every sin out there. He did everything you could possibly imagine. He was the richest man that has ever lived. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He had it all. And at the end of his life, when he realized, even though he'd been given wisdom, he did not live like a wise man. Here's what he said. This is so important. And this is what I want to leave you with. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He's saying, after everything I've told you about and talked about in my life and done in my life, here's the only thing that matters. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Why does he say that? He said, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. That's sobering. It's encouraging on one hand. What's our job? Fear God and keep his commandments. Don't get caught up in all the fiddling going on, all the people wasting their time. You find like-minded people and then you go for the gold and you just do the way God would want you to do every aspect of your life. And when you fear God and keep his commandments on the day, he's going to bring every work into judgment, including every secret hidden thing. You're going to be able to stand there and he's going to see a life that was well lived. And he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the whole point of life on this earth. I know the commercials on TV aren't telling you that. I know most pastors aren't telling you that. I know the culture, the billboards, everything is not telling you that. But it's what God told us. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. I want to encourage you to do that. I appreciate you greatly. I hope this has been an encouragement. I know I 
got off on some different things, but I was just overwhelmed by a bunch of different things I learned this week. I wanted to share them with you. And I'm going to end right now with the trailer to Agenda Weekly for those on some of the different formats that don't know about all the things that we do. But until next week, God bless you. Welcome to Agenda Weekly. We invite you to join us for an overview of the news from a conservative Christian perspective. You may be familiar with a weekly video podcast from Curtis Bowers, but Agenda Weekly is much more than that. Every Friday, we provide a written summary of the most important news events from America and around the world. We don't just cover the bad news. We find the often overlooked encouraging stories because we all need some good news. Additional resources include informative videos and articles to dig deeper, a featured hymn of the week, essential prayer points, and specific actions to take personally and in your community. For only $5 a month, less than a cup of coffee, you can subscribe to receive the most comprehensive news source available. Our goal is to save you time, expose the agenda behind the news, and equip you to make an impact right where you are. Subscribe today at agendaweekly.com.